This is Checking In, a podcast from Self Magazine. I'm Carolyn Kilstra, the Editor-in-Chief of Self, here to help you work through life's big and small questions about health and wellness. Today, we're going to talk about something that really affects everyone, childbirth. Birth is essential to life. If you are listening to this, you have experienced a birth, maybe your own. And maybe you've given birth yourself or love someone who has. But the details about giving birth and what happens to a person's body after they give birth isn't talked about in that much detail super publicly. So for today's episode, we're going to talk about it. And we're going to specifically focus on how childbirth and the postpartum experience can impact your libido, meaning your sex drive, your desire, your ability to feel sexy or sexual. Because today's listener gave birth a few months ago, and she's struggling with her libido. She wants to know if what she's going through is normal. Hey, I'm Tracy, and I had a baby about four months ago, and she's my first baby, and she's delightful. The biggest thing that's changed between my husband and I is our intimacy. I think I'm a different person now that I've had a baby. Like Physically, I'm completely different. My body feels like a bagel in water. Like I just, I look different in clothes. I look different naked. I feel like he watched me have her. So he sees me as like a completely different person. Like he used to see me as a little bit more fun and like sexy and exciting. And now I'm just like that chick that pushed his baby out and like pooped four times while she was doing it. And like he witnessed this whole thing. And I have to be honest, like I don't blame him for not wanting to be intimate. I don't. I wouldn't want to be intimate with me. I feel like before we had a baby, we had like a normal sex life. We've been together for like nine years. But now that we've had a baby, I don't I don't know if it's like that neither of us want to or if it's we're just in survival mode 110% of the time. And then at eight o'clock at night when like she's sleeping and there's like a chunk of time to do anything, the last thing I think either one of us want to do is hook up. Like I, all we want to do is like finish season six of the Americans and call it a night. Is this normal for it to go on for so long? Cause I have a lot of friends who've had babies recently and they're struggling with this, but they push through. I feel like I haven't found like the push through mark yet. I just, I'm like stuck in the struggle zone of it all. Okay. Here's how this episode is going to go. In the second half of the episode, I chat with Dr. Lex Brown-James, a therapist and sex educator who has lots of tips for how Tracy can talk to her partner and re-engage with sex when she's ready. But before we get to the tips and advice, first I want to reassure Tracy. This is a completely and totally normal thing to go through, and so many other people, including me, have gone through it and are currently going through it. And it's super, super important for you to understand that. I mean, let's just set the scene a little bit. Let's talk about why you might be struggling with libido issues four months postpartum. Well, first of all, childbirth can be physically traumatic. A lot of people experience some degree of vaginal tearing during birth. And if you had a C-section, you have to remember that recovery from that is like recovery from any other kind of major surgery. You may be dealing with a wound and stitches for weeks after having a baby. Then, if you're breastfeeding, that means that your estrogen levels are going to be particularly low which can interfere with your sex drive and inhibit your natural lubrication. Not to mention, breastfeeding can be extremely uncomfortable at first for some people. There's nothing sexy about blistered nipples, believe me on this one. 
And then there's the fact that you're keeping a newborn baby alive, likely feeding it every three hours around the clock for months. Extreme sleep deprivation can be a libido killer too. And that's to say nothing about the emotional roller coaster that you're likely experiencing, or if you're dealing with postpartum depression or anxiety, which are both pretty common. So with all that said, who's in the mood for sex? (laughs) All kidding aside, if you've had a baby, you probably know that the six weeks postpartum checkup is when your doctor might give you the sign-off to get back in the saddle. But literally, why? Who came up with the six-week number anyway? You know, six weeks, which I'm sure it was a man who decided this, is like when you're like okayed to have sex again. Um, You know, no one asks the question, like, how are you feeling about that? That's Angela Garbez, a journalist. When Angela was pregnant, she did a lot of reporting about the science and politics of pregnancy and birth. That reporting became a book called Like a Mother. In the book, Angela talks candidly about all the stages of giving birth, and a whole third of the book is devoted to the postpartum period. And to be clear, six weeks is how long it takes for the cervix typically to close back up after you have a baby. So once your cervix is closed, you're technically safe to have penetrative intercourse or put things in your vagina again because it it shouldn't likely give you a cervical infection. But that's like not the only standard of am I ready that people should be thinking about clearly. Anyway, I wanted to talk to Angela for this episode because I loved how she talks about sex and pleasure in her book. For Angela, she felt like sex was an important part of her identity, and she wanted to make sure it wasn't going to slip away from her post-baby. Six-week mark rolled around, and I was like, let's do this. We're going to do this. <laughs> and my husband was like, well, okay. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to say no to this. Um, so yeah, we're like having sex. I'm on top. Angela writes in her book about oxytocin, which is a hormone that's released when you orgasm. It gives you that tingling feeling of closeness and warmth. It's also released when you breastfeed. And my first, you know, postpartum, post-pregnancy orgasm, um, I started, because again, it's the same hormone that happens when you're breastfeeding. So I just started spraying breast milk out of my nipples. And, you know, there's not just one hole. There's like several holes that breast milk comes out of. So it was like, it was not... To me, it was a fire hose, and I was so horrified. And then my husband was just sort of shocked and, you know, opened his mouth like a baby bird and was, like, trying to catch it. And I was like, this is, I cannot do this. (laughs) And I was just like, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me. I'm, like, completely humiliated. And also, I felt so, I felt, like, betrayed by my body because I was like, this is for me. Like, this is a thing that I can do for myself. This is a a way that we stay close. And my body was basically like, nope. Like, if you're going to feel good, it's going to go to feeding a baby. And so, you know, I, like, dismounted, (laughs) like, ran to the bathroom, you know, like, dramatically. And was just like, I don't don't know if we're ever going to be able to have sex. And it was just a sign to me, like, I wasn't ready. But, um... Yeah, like, I felt like my body was saying your pleasure is not a priority anymore. Angela had to get used to the idea that sex was going to be really different. And I think also we're, we're kind of, like, trained to think about our sexual appetites as being, uh, I don't know, like a personality trait or, like, they're, like, a constant about us. But it's actually very cyclical. What I realized is I was kind of trying to force it. And I don't think, I don't think I was doing it for him. I was trying to prove something to myself, um, which isn't really going to, get you to a healthy place. (laughs) I think my husband, we had to talk about it afterwards, you know, where he really, the way he approached me was different because here I was someone who was like crying a lot 
um, which was like a postpartum thing. And I had like a, a large abdominal wound. And so I think he was really hesitant to have sex with me because he was worried that he would hurt me. And that was something we needed to talk about. And I think, you know, it just, it was definitely like at least a month before we, I even like broached the subject again. Because I was like, I just, you know, I kind of went into a hole with that. And it's very easy to let that happen because you're so busy taking care of a newborn and you're both exhausted all the time. I mean, I think it was like over the course of several months, we just sort of like, yeah, you like make your way back. Now it's been, it's been six years and, you know, we had another kid and um, I know that it was kind of like this, it was a circuitous journey. I think that I was like, I'm going to flip the switch and we're going to be like, we're going to be people who fuck again, right? Like, and that just didn't really, I'm sorry, I don't know if I'm allowed to say that on this podcast, but um, it just wasn't that way. For Angela, this became a good time to throw out a lot of the rules that she had for herself surrounding sex. These rules can also be cultural or societal, like what even constitutes sex in the first place? I get mad if I can't have an orgasm. Like, I feel like that's my right, you know? I really want that. It's how I relax. It's how I feel a lot of things. Um, but sometimes sex isn't that. Sometimes it's just like just touching each other and making each other feel good. Like, there are no rules. Like, you get to make the rules of what sex is. You know, I think about, you know, like you think of queer sex is like, you know, entirely for pleasure, right? Like, and they don't, you don't make, there's no rules for that. And I think that that is, um, it's a really important thing for people to keep in mind. Like there isn't, um, you're starting over in so many ways. So like, why not, why not think about getting rid of some ideas about sex that don't serve you? I just think it's important to remind yourself of everything your body's doing every day. That's amazing. Um, and yeah, bodies are like inconvenient and they're messy and they're like drippy <laughs> and they're like jiggly, but it's, um, I don't know. I think they're so beautiful in their mess. And I think it, to try to find a way, if not beautiful, then at least, you know, it's just, they're just useful and neutral. Like they keep us alive. They keep a baby alive. That's like serious work. I think like she's like worried about that he was horrified by witnessing the birth because the birth was messy and involved pooping on the table and stuff like that, you know, which is so common, <laughs> which is super common. I mean, I think it's worth just saying that, you know, birth is not just the territory of women and pregnant and birthing people. Everyone on earth has experienced birth in some way, you know, like her partner was like, the head that was emerging, right? That was causing somebody else to poop at one point. Like, this is very human stuff. Like, we should, it's so hard to, like, you know, I don't want to put it on Tracy to, like, reshape the culture, right? But, like, we need to be talking about it more. It's, it's, I, I mean, I understand that fear, but it's really, that's like her body, our bodies are not the problems, right? It's the sort of like garbage that society heaps on us to decide that it's disgusting. It's important to be able to talk about all of this stuff with your partner. The last thing you want to do is have sex before you're ready, just because you feel like you should. That can lead to resentment really quickly. So after a quick break, we're going to get into how Tracy can begin talking about this with her husband. Welcome back to Checking In. Today's episode is all about postpartum libido. Our listener Tracy gave birth four months ago and doesn't feel like having sex. 
We've already talked about how that's totally normal, given everything going on in her body and in her life. But this question also feels like it's about Tracy's relationship with her husband. I don't know if we're both on the same page about this. Like, I feel like we both have, like, talked about it and been like, this needs to happen. We need to move forward with this in our relationship. But I don't think he's calling into Self Magazine (laughs) to try to get answers, you know? Like, I think he would be happy kind of living in this purgatory and I'm, like, ready to, like, make something happen. With that said, I think I'm 10 times more terrified than he is. So dads also have those issues. And nobody really talks about it. And men are not taught to talk about their feelings. They're not oftentimes given permission. So they don't know what the slump is. But they just know ever since we had a baby, things are different. And it doesn't feel good. Dr. Lex Brown-James is a licensed marriage and family therapist and certified sex educator. She works with couples and clients going through what Tracy's going through. And she's dealt with her own experiences with postpartum libido after giving birth twice. So yes. All parents have postpartum feelings, and parents who didn't actually give birth can be subject to postpartum depression. It's good to keep that in mind as you embark on conversations with your partner. But some of the barriers to sex and desire that we're talking about are taking place in your body that's going through so many changes, physically, mentally, hormonally. And there's so much going on, it can be really, really, really hard to get in the right headspace to even think about getting intimate. So Dr. Lex says that it might help to simply Ask your partner to take on more responsibility with childcare and housework as a place to start. Can you please, like, figure out how to order dinner for the week or cook dinner for the week? Thank you. Can you also let me take a decent shower at least once or twice a day, right? Give me that space. Give me a space just to be alone. Take the kid. Even if the kid starts wailing and crying and they've just been fed, they're okay. Please take them. And do what you need and and learn how to soothe. So taking on a little bit more of that responsibility, right, without necessarily having to be asked or delegated can be super helpful. And maybe that will alleviate some of my own angst. Beyond asking your partner to help out a bit more and take some of that load off of you, there are other things you two should talk about, like how you're feeling and what you're thinking about sex and what might be getting in the way of you having it. Dr. Lex says that when couples can be open and gentle and empathetic with each other, that helps to maintain an emotional and erotic connection, even if nothing physical is actually happening at the moment. And it's not always just about how you're feeling. It's important to hear your partner's perspective, too, because a baby can be totally life-changing and not just for the birth parent. It should be a conversation. You share and they share. That person's also frustrated. That person is also missing their lover. Right? You're not confined to just the parenting role. They're saying, you know, there was an us before there was a we. And I would really like to get back to some of that us time and looking to do some of that. I'm like, oh, you know what? I am in parent mode all the time. Huh. I would like to not be in parent mode all the time. But I hear phantom cries when I'm in the shower. Mm-hmm. Even though I know the kid is not crying, mm-hmm. I'm worried. <laughs> Right? So it's, I need some help. And also I will say for parents who might be a little bit more specific in what they would like to happen with kid or with house, let some of that go. Okay? If the diaper's on backward, it's still going to catch pee. It's fine. Right? If the dishes, if the glasses are on the bottom rack and they're supposed to be on the top, are they clean? Yes. 
leave it alone. It's absolutely okay. So everybody has to be just a little bit more flexible. So that can go a long way with beginning to switch back into that mindset where you have time to think about your own pleasure, maybe something else besides the baby. But beyond that, Tracy is deeply embarrassed about her husband watching her give birth. And so that's a whole other kind of conversation to tackle. Dr. Lex says there are two things that can be really helpful for having these hard conversations, vulnerability and levity. You've decided to go half on a baby with this person, so you've risked some stuff already. So we can risk a little bit of honesty and use those I statements. I feel, followed by a feeling word. People do not speak this way. It is something I work with couples continually on. You say, I feel, and then people follow it with a thought. I feel that you, blah, 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 blah. It's not a feeling. That's a thought or an opinion. Like people will tell truths, right? You saw me poop. That is a truth. You are not acting sexually attracted to me. That is her truth, right? The honest part is I am scared. I am nervous. I am uncomfortable and self-conscious. And that vulnerability piece is how you build true intimacy. I'm saying I'm trusting you with something that's really close to my heart and you have the potential to hurt me. And here's what that can look like in practice. For me, I struggled. I nursed for two and a half years. Um, total for both of my children, so 15 months each. And neither one of them were ready to wean, but they had to get off of me. And it was was time. But I remember just feeling very much just like a food machine. And it was awesome. I could nourish these kids. But I told my lover, like, my breasts, I just feel very detached from them because they're only used as this tool. And I'm having a hard time getting pleasure. And one of the most pleasurable, intimate times for us was just him treating my breast tenderly. That was it. It wasn't even like full-on intercourse. It was just soft touches and like gentle kisses versus, you know, kids who bite and scratch and grab and pull. And I cried because I was like, oh, these can feel good. There is a relief there. But I expressed it to my lover, like, I'm struggling with this part right now. And I think if she did that too, it's like, babe, I'm struggling to feel wanted. I'm struggling to feel that other part of humanness outside of mom. And I'm wondering what this birth was like for you, because your lover had to watch you labor and couldn't do anything about it. Like, they're not pushing an epidural. They're not like, oh, they're holding your leg up or helping you play tug of war or, you know, holding your hand through that C-section. But that's bloody scary. Vulnerability can be really sexy. And other times, levity can help make it easier to talk about difficult or embarrassing truths. You can make a joke, babe. I cannot believe you saw me take like four dumps. This is craziness. Oh my gosh, what do I do? Like, don't touch my butt ever again, right? So we can can laugh a little bit about it and bring some lightness to it. Be like, yeah, you know, I thought the baby was a turd. I was nervous, right? And then once you have that levity to it, it might be a little bit easier to talk about because it was embarrassing. Okay, so let's say some of these tools have helped Tracy and her husband be open to talking about what they're both feeling. And they do decide that they're ready to start having sex again or being more intimate. So how do you safely get going again? What are some things to keep in mind while actually having sex? Dr. Lex's first tip is talk about what you're going to do if the baby cries while you're having sex. 
we call my kids hating ass babies, so Habs for short, because I'm pretty sure every time we were going to have sex, one of them would cry. It's a radar that children have that's like, oh no, they're going to try and make a sibling interrupt them. So it's it's just will happen. And if you're a person that can be like, oh, they're fine and they're going to soothe, it's going to take 10 minutes and they're not screaming for those 10 minutes, like do what you want to do. If you're a person that's like, oh my God, I can't do this. I can't focus. Then take a break and know that you can always come back, right? Sex doesn't begin or end with a hard penis. You can still do things that are fun with or without a hard penis involved. And you can always come back. Let's try another fun thing. I don't like that anymore. Let's try that. This hurts. So go a little bit slowly at first so you can get to know your body and the differences and the things that are changing. Another thing to keep in mind is that, like Angela said earlier, you should expect actual physical differences inside your body. Be ready to laugh. Because something might happen. You might have a queef, right? So a vaginal fart, basically. Air gets trapped. Things change. That's fine. Um, You might have uterine contractions if there's an orgasm, which sometimes can be painful. I even know people who have orgasmed and shot out breast milk at the same time. So be prepared. There's potential for extra bodily fluids, right? Say, hey, you might get milk in your mouth. How do you feel about that? Right. Or actually, I really don't want, you know, body fluids on my chest. That feels uncomfortable for me. So you can be sexy in a variety of ways. Tracy said she's struggling with feeling sexy, that she's worried about how she looks. And this is something that we hear a lot, a pressure to return to your size from before the baby was born. But not only is that totally unrealistic for most people, it's also important to remember that being bigger doesn't have to be a deterrent to being wanted or feeling pleasure. If you've gotten larger, your skin is your largest sexual organ. Everybody says it's the brain. I get it. It's not. Your skin is much larger than your brain. And if you get bigger, you have more skin to tantalize. You have more skin that is sensitive, right? People often report that their uh, C-section scars can be sensitive, that their labia change because now you've gotten used to all of this blood flow there, so your clitoris can even grow larger, which means more nerve endings for more sensation. Larger labia, more sensation, because the inner part of the labia, so the lips that you can see of your vulva, that first inch is super sensitive. It has a bunch of nerve endings, and it actually like, might even turn some colors the more aroused you get, because there's more blood flow to the area, and especially after birth. Also, Lube is your friend. I will say, if you're a nursing parent, use a lube, right? Because vaginal dryness happens with nursing. It's just something because of all the hormones and them saying like, well, maybe you don't need to have a baby again yet. So let's cut off some of these hormones that help with vaginal lubrication. Spit is not a lubricant, right? Just no, use a lubricant that's water-based or silicone-based or oil-based, depending on your type of sex. Enjoy it. There's no shame in it. It just makes things slide a little bit easier. It can be hard to get to that point, though, to accept all these changes in your body. How should someone like Tracy work to release some of that shame around how she looks? I call it naked homework in my practice. I love giving naked homework to my clients uh, because I see mostly couples and lovers together, uh, dyads and triads. So naked homework, the thing that I love for couples to do is to strip down naked in front of one another with the lights on, folks, or in daylight. Okay, which sounds a little bit scary, I know, 
But this is your lover. They're not out to hurt you. They're not out to put you down. If they are, then we need to talk about why they're your lover, okay? That's a different conversation. So this person loves you and wants to take care of you and wants you to feel good. So we do a gratefulness body scan. So you take turns going back and forth. You start at the bottom of your feet and you scan their bodies and you talk about different parts that you're grateful for with their bodies and why. And then you show them a physical sign of gratitude. Whatever physical sign you want, it can alternate. So if somebody wants to say, I really love how your cheeks blush when I give you compliments. And then you want to give that cheek a kiss. Okay. Dr. Lex says that Tracy still seems to be emotionally processing the experience of childbirth. And she says that journaling could help with that. Because there was some things that were a little bit taboo around her birth, defecating a couple of times, right? And things that can be challenging. So walk through it and look at the strengths of that birth, right? So not only was her body working really hard to push out everything so it could get everything out the way to make sure that this baby came forth into the world okay. Everything. It was like, let's, we got to give it all. And literally she gave it all and it was left on the bed and that's okay. But she gave it all to bring forth this life that they made together and decided that they wanted. And that's pretty strong. So I'd like her to write her her birth story and read it back and then say, what were the strengths here? What challenge did I face and what challenge did I overcome? Because she gets a lot of credit for that. So there you have it, Tracy. I really hope that this was helpful. And I hope you can remember that you're not alone in this. So many of us have been there, and you will adapt to your new body and feel pleasure again. And to all our listeners, thank you for being here. This is the last episode in our first season, so we're going to be taking a rest and we'll be back with more sometime in the near future. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to rate and leave us a review and subscribe to the podcast. It helps new listeners find the show. You can find additional information and episode references in the show notes. Follow Self on Instagram at Self Magazine, and I'm at Carolyn Kilstra. On our audio team, supervising producer is Odelia Rubin, lead producer is Haley Fager, executive producer is Shara Morris, producer is Phoebe Unterman, associate producers are Andrea Batanzos and Kate Michigan, and sound engineer is Scott Somerville. On the Self team, the editorial lead is Sarah Yalowitz, digital director is Amy Isinger, researchers are Amy Martirana Winderall and Colleen de Belfon. The theme music is by Biscuit and Butter, courtesy of Blaze Unlimited LLC. Special thanks to Julie Shen and Neon Hum Media. Thanks for listening. See you soon.